paper promises were used to between kings to transfer. Sometimes one king would have a higher balance and he'd say, no, 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 you know what? You're going to have to transfer the actual gold. First, there was no inflation, transitory inflation, and mild inflation. And now, oh, well, you know what? Um, we'll be fighting inflation eventually. Don't worry. We'll take care of it. Fear should be there because it is easy to lose money with crypto. Even if somebody doesn't steal it from you, you could accidentally make a mistake with crypto. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the podcast in partnership with Smartcast and Najahi Events. More about those great sponsors later. Today's guest has already been on the show and I had to get him back because he's got a head full of wisdom like you wouldn't believe. Da Vinci Jeremy was that man that made that video back in 2013 where he told everyone just go and buy one dollar's worth of crypto. Obviously some people did, some people didn't. He made a fortune and he's a really smart guy and if you've watched a previous episode with him you'll know how smart he is. So let's get into this episode and really enjoy the knowledge that he's got around the history of money, how it works, why the banking system is falling apart, okay, and how crypto will save the world. Organizations such as Smartcast, who are solving the problem of food security in the world, have supported this podcast because they believe in the mission that I'm on. When you understand the work that they do at trying to solve the problem with this massive population growth we've been having over the years and providing a way of bringing food safely to everybody, it really is something I admire. And lastly, thank you to Najahi Events who have been sponsoring us now on the podcast for over a year. Najahi bring motivational speakers to the region to help inspire, educate, and motivate you to achieve better success and live a better life. Welcome back. Good to be back, man. <laughs> it's nice to see you. I kind of, I felt in our, in our last conversation, I, first of all, I, thank you so much for coming on the last episode. I learned so much from you, but I felt almost like there was unfinished business. It was almost like you you gave me some really good information, but there was so much more that I wanted to learn. And I was just conscious of time for not only for you and me, but also the audience too. Yeah. So you coming back again is great. I mean, you've just got this depth of knowledge that I think and, and, and information that's so incredibly valuable to people nowadays to understand what's going on with money. And so the place I suppose I want to start today is, first of all, I got first question, why did you come back? well i enjoyed myself actually very much so and i want to share my knowledge with everybody because knowledge is power and you don't get you don't you're not born with knowledge you acquire it so i'm glad to um, share my knowledge with everybody else so i hopefully people acquire some knowledge today okay awesome stuff i thought that might be the answer (laughs) okay money let's talk about money okay let's go back to understanding money because we spoke a lot about or a bit about the adoption of gold and silver and then the adoption of money, which took many years, paper money, many years to be kind of accepted by real mm. people. That really hit a chord with me because of the comparison to now this new type of money. So maybe we can go back and start asking the question, what is money? So what was money initially created for? 
Well, we used to barter, right? We used to trade things with barter, meaning that we tried to figure out uh, what the value of a chicken was based on some labor work that you had to do. Let's just say you wanted to build fence, right? You'd trade the chicken for building a fence, but is that really worth just a chicken, right? It's really difficult to determine. And what kind of chicken? Is it fat chicken or a skinny one, right? There's um, different values proposition between different assets, things that you do or things that are in their economy. So whether it be uh, a chicken or 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 labor or even uh, the house, the whole house, for example, right? How do you determine the value of those things? So the best way to do that is we have a, a, a monetary system, a system of money that we know the consistent value of. Now, yeah, of course, the value is not exactly consistent, but it is generally we know what the that we could actually have some sort of uh, idea of what the value is. Because we want to see we want to be able to project out into the future. OK, well, if I have uh, 10 of these coins, that means I'll be able to buy X, Y, Z. Right. So that's the value of money is basically you want to know what you can get with these assets. So because money is fixed, it's a fixed asset, meaning that let's just say, for example, we used it as gold and silver. We knew exactly how much gold was actually in the coin or how much silver was in the coin so that we could then later on make a trade. So that's the key value of money is to make trades with it, of course. Mm -hmm. But it's also used to save long term. Mm -hmm. That's another point of money. We want to be able to know how much we're going to get in the future because we want to save this asset that doesn't deteriorate because we can't save chickens we can't save corn right because mm -hmm. it deteriorates mm -hmm. we can't save steel because it rusts mm -hmm. right so we have to come up with something that will be consistent in value mm -hmm. and since gold can't deteriorate same with silver we know that it will always be there the value will always be there and if we go back into the the movies of the olden days, they would always pillage, wouldn't they? And they would take the gold and the silver, you know, whether it was the, the candelabras or the crowns or whatever it is from the king. They'd be looking for their stash of gold and silver because that was the value. And that's what the, you know, people measured their wealth by. Yes, it became more that that came that happened over time. It wasn't immediately because, you know, eventually we realized that, hey, well, we couldn't use silver for anything. Not anymore. Right. Of course, we've learned that we can use silver for a lot more than just uh, the only time that the only thing that silver was used for or other things that used silver was used for was mirrors, right? Back before we understood that it could be used to conduct electricity and so forth. But before then, before the last hundred years, silver was a useless metal. It was too soft, right? Um, it was also, they didn't understand the property that had had the property of killing bacteria, right? Um, I just, you know, the, the, the talk, term, you have a silver spoon in your mouth. Well, uh -huh. that actually, that silver, if you ate with silver, that helped kill bacteria that was in the food that actually helped you live longer. People didn't know that because you're well, they're wealthy because only wealthy people would have silver spoon. But that's why they lived a little bit longer, because that would kill the bacteria in the food. So, yes, that was uh, another thing that they didn't realize what silver had, the properties of silver. Wow. But it was mostly used as, you know, money because it can't be used for anything else because it was it was too soft. I think gold between the ratio between gold and silver was like uh, what the, what they find it is like ten to one. So for example, when we pull it out of the earth, we would find one ounce of gold and ten ounces of silver. So that was okay. that was the ratio, general ratio, and, and generally that would be the value of uh, silver to gold. So 
because of that ratio. Now, it seems like precious metals seems like, well, it's obvious because they're so rare. But the key point of precious metals is that the fact that they're consistent. We know that they're not going to deteriorate. Silver does not destroy itself. It doesn't fall apart, right? It doesn't change over time. And that's what you need for a monetary asset that doesn't change over time. And guess what Bitcoin doesn't do? It doesn't change. You could still download the oldest version of the software and run it today and it will still work. Even though we've upgraded the protocol many times. You can still transfer Bitcoins with the oldest version of the software. And that's partially by design. Satoshi did not actually say he wanted that to, to, to do that. But he did mention that he didn't want it to hard forks over and over again. He did want one hard fork, which was to, to increase the block size. But I believe the decision not to increase the block size was the right decision. At first, I didn't, didn't agree with it. Honestly, I did not. Okay, hold that thought. Okay. So I want to go back to the yes. money side of things because I want to take people on this this journey today yes. where we can go from there to here yes, yes, and yes. all of those wonderful reasons why. So we now know we've got this gold and this silver. It doesn't de- perish. It doesn't deteriorate so we can use it. And if I give you some of my gold or my silver, you can give me something in return for mm-hmm. that. Okay, when we have to determine what it is. I would argue probably back then because there was no clear value on a piece of gold that you could still use it as a bartering tool exactly but it was a better bartering tool because it's lasted longer yeah right compared to salt compared to feathers or anything else mm. that we used in money because we've used many many things as money in the past and anything technically can be used as money but the best use case of money is gold and silver at the time because the lack of deterioration and the value can exist across time. In fact, think about it, right? We have shipwrecks of gold coins. Mm-hmm. And when we pull them out of the water, they're still worth the same amount or more, right? Yeah. The, so <laughs> the, the value of and, the gold. Yeah. Exactly. And <clears throat> everything else deteriorates, like the ship deteriorates under the sea, mm-hmm. but the gold doesn't. No. <laughs> right? So yeah. Interesting. Okay. So We've, we've got ourselves to a place now where we're using, instead of bartering, our, you know, I'll build you a fence in return for the chickens, we've now got our gold and silver. Seems pretty reasonable. We can live by that. Mm-hmm. How did paper money get introduced? It's pretty heavy and difficult to transfer gold and silver across the sea, across long distances, because one, you could have a problem with the ship, mm-hmm. a problem with the shipment, whether people are involved because uh-huh. they might steal it. Or somebody else will rob them, right, That along the way. So this was one of the, the key problems with physical gold and silver. So paper promises were used to between kings, right, to transfer wealth back and forth without, and then later on they would settle up. So eventually sometimes they would just, the settling would realize that, that they would have like an abound, off, off balance, right? Sometimes one would go higher, would have a higher uh, balance. One king would have a higher balance and he'd say, no, 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 you know what? You're going to have to transfer me the actual gold. And I'm willing to take the risk of the transfer because it was just so much, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. That the value of transferring it with all the risk associated, both in, of, um, you know, theft and basically uh, transportation costs of mm-hmm. the security and everything was so high, was so so low compared to the amount of gold that was had to be transferred that obviously that king would request it. Mm-hmm. But 
if the 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 settling was almost the same or just only slightly higher, they didn't bother, of course, right? So this was the first use of paper money because it, obviously this was written down and agreed upon, and some would have uh, documentation and promise the promissory notes or mm -hmm. bonds, right? That they would give to the other king, and so they could transfer that back and forth because there was just a piece of paper. Okay, so this piece of paper essentially <laughs> right. at, at the beginning was an IOU. Mm -hmm. That's how it started. Exactly. In so the fact, like, yeah, that's yeah. what is between trusted people. That, exactly. That's what paper money effectively is an IOU, the gold. That's what it is. And so when when kings were doing it, they thought, well, wait a second, why don't we do that to the average people? I think I think in China they started it first, and so. They would uh, they created the IOUs of gold, right? Uh, and those paper notes were easily passed around. Uh -huh. And in China, it was done first. In fact, China is has the, the most recorded hyperinflation events of all of human history of the two thousand years of written human history. We've had more than two thousand. We have like five thousand. But in the last two thousand years, right? Uh, China had about two thousand different hyperinflationary events, approximately. Right. 2100. We'll come on like to that. those in a minute. Okay, <laughs> so we got to this stage where we got this IOU. I'm, I'm sure that, that solved a problem because clearly there was a problem. Moving this gold backwards and forwards was a problem. So here's this piece of paper, IOU, okay. Da Vinci and Spencer, you're the king of where are you? I'm the king of where I am. And here's the IOU. Right, so we trust each other. Mm -hmm. That then evolved from the kings then to the, the uh, let's say the... Individuals in the kingdom. Yeah, the, 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 the aristocracy, I suppose. Mm. And then it moved down to the middle class people and so on and so forth before it became a tool that everybody used. How long did that take to go from gold and silver for everything to filter down and be an everyday tool for everybody to use? It depends on which environment you're talking about. If you're talking about China, it was relatively fast because the, it was forced amongst people. Okay. Whilst when it came to European countries, that took a long time. It took about 100 years. You know, people were like, what? I'm not on a piece of paper. I want the real stuff. That's crazy. So it took a long time uh, in, Europe, in Europe because uh, people were more free than the people in Asia. Whilst the people in Asia, um, they're, because they had so many hyperinflationary events and the governments were constantly forcing people to use the paper money, they gave, it became part of the religion, like in India, to hold gold. Right mm. to to value gold as jewelry and yeah, stuff like yeah. and give it because, as, gift, yeah. as a gift and so forth because it's always happens always 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 happens this hyperinflation wiping out everybody this effectively is what's going to happen to all of us when was the first recorded bank open do we know that do you know much about the early banks uh, banking. Because there must have ended up having to be a bank for people. Of course, banking started as, uh, you know, well, I don't want to store all my physical gold at home. Right? <clears throat> at home. So I would store it with, you know, uh, um, with somebody who had a huge vault. Right. And that's also helped push the paper money system as well, because then you'd have a paper note from the bank saying, hey, this is how much gold you have. And um, eventually then it realized that it could change it to smaller notes. Smallish IOUs, smaller IOUs, which you could actually trade. So that's another way that paper money came into existence. But um, in fact, it was um, it was actually brought from China, and then they told then the banks thought, okay, well, this is how we should do it. The, but it took a long time for people to actually 
understand that. Understand that. And accept and, it, I suppose. And accept it. Yeah, exactly. Because it was very difficult to accept because of um, the fact that, hey, you know what? It isn't the real money. It's the real money is the actual gold and silver. It's the physical stuff. And that's true. But an IOU is easier, faster to move around. If, right? you, if you roll forward 2,000 years to today's day and age, we have these huge brands, you know, HSBC, Barclays, or whatever it may be, that are the banks that are trusted without question by 99% of the population. If I put my money there, it's not going to disappear. If I put my money there, it's safe. If I put my money there, um, that's what I should do. You know, I, I know that logo, that red and white logo there. I know that, that, that crest there. I know that Barclays crest, you know, and so on and so forth. And so people feel very safe that their money is in the bank. Yeah, that's an illusion. Tell me why. It's illusion because all your life, that's how it's been. So you believe that. So for example, just like Bernie Madoff, it was a belief that he was not running a scam, but he was. Mm -hmm. Well, it's a belief that the banks are not scamming you, but they are. Simple as that. They're broke. They have no money. Um, and they will all collapse eventually because the whole system of our money and monetary system means that they collapse eventually. And how is that? How did they collapse? Well, let me make it simple for you. Pretend I'm on an island and we're on an island. Let's just say we're both on an island. And I'm a banker and you are a fisherman and he built houses and nice. And you want a house. And I say, I'm. I got this printing press here, right? That I just have to press a button and that's it. And that money comes out, right? And the rules are that once some money comes out, right? I can give it to you, but if you give it back to me, it gets destroyed. That's the rules. So I'm going to lend you that $100 to buy the house from him, but you owe me $110 back. That's what you're going to have to pay me, $110 okay. back at the end of the month. So if... You take the, you agree to this loan. If you agree to this loan, I create the money by pressing a button, mm -hmm. and I get a free slate. Pay the builder to build the house. He build the house. Okay. He builds the house, and then you realize, yeah, there's only hundred dollars on the island. How am I going to get a hundred and ten dollars back? You come back to me and say, how am I going to get a hundred and ten to you? I'm like simple. Somebody else has to go into debt. So effectively, in order to have money on the islands, more and more debt must be created, and so I get more and more slaves. But if because the debt has to continue growing over and over again. And the rules are, if you don't pay, I pay. Yeah. And so if enough people default, I can't afford to pay off all those debts. So effectively, because the banks have so many debts that are higher, that created higher than the amount of money that's available, they're all wiped out, basically. They're all done. Unless? Because, unless, of course, you create more debt. Unless they turn the printer on. Exactly. Well, the only way they can print the, to turn the printer on, because the rules are, in order for the money to exist, somebody has to go into debt. Who's going to go into debt? Well, the easiest person to go into debt is the government. Mm -hmm. Right? And so, and the government points a gun at you to pay your taxes to pay the bank. Think about that for a second. That means you are a slave to a bank, one way or another. Even if you don't borrow money from the bank, you're a slave. And that's why the banks have such an influence on governments, politicians, who gets in, what policies take place, and so on and so forth. Yes, because what they can do is borrow money from another bank, uh -huh. which is effectively creating more money. Yeah. And then using that money, that free money that they created, because they know they create it for free. Right? They don't borrow from themselves. They always borrow from another bank. 
uh, because that's part of the rules. <laughs> because it's just a, it's it's a it's a um it's a mafia group, right? Basically, it's like a um, what's the word for a conglomerate of people who are just working together, like in a mafia style. They just know that this is what the rules are, and then that's what the rules they follow. Because the reason why they do it this way is because they don't want the whole system to collapse, of mm-hmm. course, very fast. Because they know that that would happen if they don't follow a certain set of rules. Because of because of human greed, once you're able to create money, you're going to find ways to get it to create be created. As we're going into a recession right now, maybe it would be good to discuss what happened in 2008, so that sure. people can get perspective. Because I think a lot of people have forgotten. Younger people, particularly, won't have been on that journey sure, because sure, it's, you know, it's what is it, 12, 14 years ago now. So, in 2008, okay. Greed played a massive part in what happened in the financial crisis. We had something called subprime lending, okay, which Mm -hmm. was kind of like the term of the day. Explain your understanding of what happened then. Greed is ever present in humanity. That's 100%, right? I don't think there's a human emotion more powerful than greed. Uh, and, And anybody who tells you they're not greedy, they're lying. They want something in their lives whether it is emotional connection, you're greedy for that. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with greed, right? Um, it's it just, you just need the, the limits of physical reality to put you in check, <laughs> right? But if that limit, if you find ways to, to bypass the limit of physical reality, you're going to use that. <laughs> That's it. Mm-hmm. And so what happened was 2008 occurred once Alan Greenspan bailed out long-term capital management back in 1998. What happened there was after uh, the Russians default, long-term capital management, they, um, they had these, this complex uh, options application, which they didn't backtest through 1987, which I'm sure they did that on purpose. They were bailed out by Alan Greenspan. That created the Greenspan put. Once they realized that that was the case, they fought tooth and nail to get rid of um, uh, the Glass-Steagall Act so that the banks could go and gamble and so forth on the market and come up with crazy financial products. And thus created what was called um, um, derivatives or um, what um, Warren Buffett actually uh, aptly called financial weapons of mass destruction. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't do that. (laughs) Yes. Because what they allowed them to do is to package loans and so forth in complex bundles, right, that they can sell off, right, and pretend that these things, these bundles were safe. But they weren't, of course. Mm -hmm. And this allowed them to do all kinds of crazy lending, right, with very little credit and then hide them in these packaged loans. So, of course, they knew that this was not sustainable. They knew that this would collapse all the banking system. But they also knew that the central bank would bail them out. So I didn't realize that at the time because actually I did predict 2008. I remember working at my company, Loris Technologies, and I was telling everybody, I'm going to take uh, two weeks off in September to watch the whole system collapse, financial system collapse. And they're like, yeah, okay, you're crazy. I'm like, yeah, yeah, trust me, it's good. All the banks are, are done. They're finished. They're all going to collapse, right? I'm like, I'm like, AIG, they're done. Uh, Goldman Sachs is going to fall after AIG because uh-huh. they've got bets against them and that's it. It's over. 
right? Mm-hmm. And they're like looking at everybody's looking at me and my work. What are you smoking? They <laughs> didn't believe you. No, no. And I was at home watching this, watching it through the news and stuff like that. And people were like calling me and saying, Da Vinci, uh, you know, my bank is telling me to take all my money out. What should I do? At this time, you've got you've got these big brands that everyone knows and trusts. You know, this the Lehman Brothers and Bank of America and Merrill Lynch. You know, these household names that people had trusted through and through for time after time. I don't think when it started with Bear Stearns, most retail investors or most people with bank accounts knew who Bear Stearns were. I think Bear Stearns was being banged about as a name, but people were like, I don't know that, so it doesn't doesn't apply to me. Mm-hmm. The moment it then went into the conversation around Lehman's, well, people had heard about Lehman Brothers, mm-hmm. Merrill Lynch, people definitely had heard exactly. about that. Yeah. And all of a sudden they were like, oh, hold on. And we had Northern Rock in the UK. All of a sudden people were like, hold on a minute, is my money safe? Yes, exactly. That was, uh, and I believe that the, this whole system was coming to an end in 2008 because they were allowing banks to fail. They allowed Bear Stearns to fail. They allowed Lehman Brothers to fail. So I thought for sure, right? Once I saw Bear Stearns fail, I thought for sure this is it. I thought actually at first I thought I was crazy. I thought it was like, I'm probably not reading this information correctly. Okay. And what gave me the, the real tip that I was 100% correct and I was able to sit to say, okay, I'm taking the time off is when, the, when uh, George Bush came out and said, our financial system is strong. There's nothing wrong with our financial system. <laughs> I'm like, wow. I'm correct. At first, I didn't believe what I was looking at. I didn't. That that was clear. If a government tells you something's okay, run. Just mm-hmm. just run. Yeah. The opposite direction. Yeah, yeah. So right. It's now, like with the manager of a sports team. Mm-hmm. You know, the directors have full support, and we're fully behind this manager. And mm-hmm. uh, invariably, he leaves two weeks later or gets fired. Exactly. Okay. So you know what they're doing right now is like they're redefining recession. So you can imagine what. What's coming? Well, right? this is important, actually. So let's get the 2008 thing out of the way. So other examples of what happened, um, many banks collapsed across Europe. Greece, obviously, as a country collapsed financially. Um, so their central banking structure fell apart. Um, countries like Cyprus, my parents had, were living in Cyprus and literally not able to get money out of the banks. The rules and regulations around protecting people's monies in banks weren't actually what people thought they were. Okay, in the UK, we used to have this rule that you have um, 75% of the first 20,000 is protected. Well, if you've got 100,000 in there, that's, you know, it's not really reassuring, is it? But people don't pay attention to that kind of stuff, do they? Not until they lose their money. This 2008 crisis happens. You and I both experience it. Okay, the stock markets fall off a cliff. The banks go bust. Okay, we go into this dark wilderness. Um, and then... After a period of time, the governments have got to work out how they can reignite the economy, how they can get things going. Dubai was a great, a great example of this. Property prices fell by 50%. And all of the people that are here right now, looking at property right now, and particularly the real estate brokers are going, it will never go down in value. This is not going to fail, yada, yada, yada. I'm sorry, you're 28 years old and you're telling me this. You weren't you weren't even out of school when the last crash happened. So we have we have a track record of this. Then to get out of that recession, we saw one of the tools they used to kickstart an economy is to bring interest rates down. The cost of borrowing, let's make it much, much less. Well, the first thing they did, they got the banks in a situation where they could be stress tested, didn't they? So once they sorted all the banks, right, stress testing, you've got to keep this much money here, okay? And so you can survive. If it happens again, which it won't, but if it happens again, you can survive. 
that stress testing was done to, and told, the world was told the banks are a lot stronger now. It's unlikely that will ever happen again. You know, this kind of stuff doesn't happen. You know, they changed that stress test three times so that they kept moving the bar three times in order to until the banks were actually were like pass the stress test. You know that they keep lowering it. Yes. Okay. So for all you guys that are listening to this and watching this right now, I think it's really important you understand that that this is this impacts you because it's your money. It's your money and it's your future. And and some of the, while, while Da Vinci and I might talk about stuff that, that we know that might be a little bit confusing for you or might be a little bit technical for you. Trust me, just stay with us because we'll do our best to get you through this. But you have to understand that this is your money and your money is being affected and your money will be affected. And if you forget that or you go, oh, yeah, but that's not me. I'm telling you right now, this minute, what you're going to hear over the course of the next, however long this podcast lasts, okay, is what I believe you need to be doing to protect your money from going wrong. Okay, so just keep paying attention. Right. Here we are. The recession is over. We're all feeling a bit better. Kicking starts in the economy. We can now start borrowing money again. We can now get a mortgage again. We, and you know, and interest rates are really low, so we can borrow money easily, cheaply, and then they're bringing interest rates down even more and they're borrowing more cheaply and easily. But something else happened to enable that kickstart to take place. And what happened was the printing of money because all the banks were bust. What happened? Well, I think you've pretty much summed it up, right? They just printed a bunch of money, gave it to the banks and said, you know, don't worry about it. And, uh, you know, they uh, managed to, to stabilize things. But they learned that, oh, so I can, I can go crazy and do crazy stuff, illegal stuff. It doesn't matter. I'm too big to, to fail and I'm too big to jail. Right? Um, too big to fail, too big to jail. Exactly. Uh, what you don't know is that the Bank of New York Mellon got caught completely committing absolute fraud, stealing from retirement uh, funds through the means of changing the, um, the conversion rate, basically. They would um, charge them a super high rate whenever they would transfer trade between different currencies. And this was complete fraud. Absolute. There was hands-down fraud. But... Uh, and they did. Nobody went to jail, and they did. In fact, they changed the law to allow them to continue with the fraud because if they stopped, the company would go under. Bank of New York Mellon would go under, and this has all been buried, right? So that you don't know about this, because they were too big to 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 jail, and too big to fail. So they have carte blanche banks basically, access to do whatever they want at this point. Imagine and, being the boss of a company and you know you're doing something wrong. You know you're committing an illegal activity and you know you're going to get away with it. Yeah. I, that becomes the perfect crime. Yes. That's the model you actually, most companies actually try to strive for now because it's possible, because they understand, because um, they don't, they teach this in university, but they don't really say it directly it's more of like oh just constantly build up clients and forget about trying to make a profit model you just have the money comes from investors which is effectively loans from other um some people loaning borrowing money from the bank and then loaning and that money comes higher and higher basically allowing you to get to the point where 
um, you know how the saying goes, if you owe the bank $10 million and can't pay, you've got a problem. But if you owe the bank $10 billion and can't pay, the bank's got a problem. You want to get to that point, right? That's that's the whole objective at this point. Got it. Right? So that okay. they could commit crimes for your behalf in order to continue your, your existence. During that period of time through that recession, there were, there were, there were certainly some very pissed off people. Okay, some people that had gone broke. There were some people that uh, couldn't get access to the money. Regular, regular people. Okay, we saw very, very document or highly documented um, uh, Greece with its debt problem and the eurozone having to bail them out. So that was kind of in the news every day. So it was almost like, yeah, okay, well, my ten thousand dollars in the bank, you know, I can't get access to, but Greece has gone bankrupt, and so that's a you know a much bigger problem. So people, in the main. We're not sitting saying this is wrong. That what's the solution? What's the alternative? They were just saying this is wrong. The bankers are the problem. Satoshi or a number of people, and I believe when we spoke last time, you were thinking about it. There's got to be a better way. Exactly. There's, there has to be a better way. Mm-hmm. And whilst you might not have had the answer, the thought that that was in your head must have been in lots of other people's heads as well. Exactly. And it's how lots of great businesses are formed, aren't they? It doesn't matter what it is. There's a problem. You know, there was a guy I was talking to the other day. He used to be a real estate broker in the States. And he used to have to run across town all the time trying to get clients to sign documents when he was making sales of property. He said, he goes, I just sat there going, this is ridiculous. I've got to drive on the other side of the city to get this document signed. There's got to be a better way. And he created a piece of software. That piece of software then meant that people could sign those documents without having to go across the city. And now half of the real estate brokers in the United States all use that software. But it was like problem Lots of people go, yeah, it's a problem and live mm-hmm. with it. And then some people go, yeah, it's a problem. There's got to be a better way. Exactly. And it's not like there's got to be a better way. We think what you're doing is bad, illegal, and everything else. It's like it's got to be a better way because this doesn't work. Is that fair? Exactly. So when you were thinking about there's got to be a better way, did you have any idea of what the better way might be at first? Or were you just sitting there scratching your head going, oh, man. No, I knew it had to be a digital currency that couldn't be controlled by government and had to be an absolute uh, fixed system that existed on its own. I just didn't know how to build it. And so, um, and when I did try to do the research, everybody was like uh, telling me, no, don't bother. It's not possible. It's an impossible task. And so, but obviously it is possible. And once I saw it, right, I realized what it was right away that uh, Satoshi had solved the double spend problem, meaning allowing you to prevent anyone from cheating the system. So once I send you a digital asset, like, you know, that I can send you a video and then send him a video and send everybody the same video. Well, how do you do that? How do you prevent somebody from doing that with, uh, with money? Well, there's a ledger saying that exactly who has what. And everybody has a copy and everybody validates those that uh that that ledger and make sure that it is correct and that's how so let's 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 give people some perspective on this i think it's really important you have a document that everybody can see Mm -hmm. okay everybody everyone everybody on this planet can see if they've got an internet connection they can go to that ledger and they can see who owns what What? versus the, the monetary system, which exists right now, where you never know who has what. So there could be a gazillion, trillion, million, billion, whatever it might be, dollars in the world. 
okay? At any one time, there could be that amount. However, behind the scenes, there's some organization, we'll call them central banks, that are busy when they see fit to print more of it and bring more of it into circulation, okay? And you know nothing about it. So there's no transparency. You think your money in the bank sitting there, your $10,000 sitting there at 2% is exactly what it is, okay? You don't know anything else. You just think there's, your belief system is that there's a certain amount of money in the world. And that's just all total and utter nonsense. So you've gone from things being completely gray and unclear in real terms to a system that has full transparency where everybody 24 hours a day, seven days a week, if they see fit, can go and see who has what of it, correct? Exactly, and um, it's not, it's anonymous of course, right? You just see accounts mm -hmm. and you can see each account and you don't know who actually owns the account, but you know that somebody does, mm -hmm. right? So that's, that's what you're looking at basically. And so you could out know that always there's going to be only 21 million Bitcoin, right? Eventually, that they're going to be created over the next um, 140 years. And that's it. And you know that, that's, that, that, that what's in the database will always be correct because it's a mathematical algorithm. It's also considered a protocol, basically, as well, because it's a means of communications that is, that's upgradable, but not... Um, changeable meaning that it's it's backward compatible meaning that once you uh make any upgrades right they have to still work with the older version okay so just again for everyone to really understand this there'll only ever be 21 million bitcoins at the moment how many have been mined uh right now almost uh, uh, close to, to 20 million 20 million almost okay so almost at the top yes this is okay where so now just... we're, we're at the end of the curve right we're now leveling off where there's not much left Okay, so in a period of time, all of those coins will be mined, 21 million. There'll never be any more. There'll never be, anyway, now, we've got that clear. There can always be more money, and more money's been printed in the last few years than has ever been printed before, okay, proving the inflation issue that exists. So we've got these two, two opposites. Mm -hmm. The vast majority are in this place where there's, there's, there's no transparency, the minority are in the place of transparency. So we've got that very clear. We now know that that's existing. Why would anybody, knowing those two pieces of information, why would anybody have real fiat, as it's called, money? Because they understand, they believe that the money that they own is, is real. And that's because they're so used to it. They're used to it every single day when they go shopping when they do um, any kind of transaction, when they pay their taxes, this is what they use. So um, until that day that it flips over, they don't realize that, okay, well, yeah, this is the, that this, you should have been using Bitcoin all along. Once that day comes, then they'll be like, oh, I should have bought Bitcoin back when I was- Yeah, okay. So now we've got this situation where, let's, let's talk about theft, okay? Do banks get robbed? Yes. Yes, they do. Do Ponzi schemes exist? Yes. Okay. Do um, the bank CEOs and teams of directors get things wrong, mess things up, and lose money? Yes. Okay, they do. So that there's fraud that takes place. We just explained with Mellon. Um, there's theft that takes place. So bank robberies that take mm -hmm. place. Okay. So it's conceivable that over this side here, there could be some of this kind of stuff going on as well. 
Okay, because there's always bad people, no matter what. No matter what. Okay, so there's a there's a risk, just like there's a risk over here. There is a risk of theft. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So we've got a transparent system. Okay, a very dark system you can't understand. And there's a because, but a lot of people say, "Oh, yeah, but hold on a minute. I saw that crypto X, crypto Y, or whatever it may be. People lost their money. That was a scam." And I'm like, "Yep, that did happen. Yes, it's been reported in the news. Okay, yes. but yes. this has been happening for." Well, since banks existed, because yes. bank robbers were there at the beginning of time, exactly. weren't they? So nothing's different from that point of view. No. Okay. The so. only difference is that uh, the system Bitcoin is fixed. The rules of uh, our, our financial system is not fixed. Before, central banks were not allowed to own um, uh, government debt. Now they do. They were not supposed to monetize the debt. Now they do. So they've changed the rules. They weren't allowed to to um, bail out the banks, but now they do. Oh, but hold on a minute. Right? Hold on a minute. But you must obviously get everybody to vote and agree that they will know the new rules. Obviously, the, the population must take take a vote and say, no, we agree with these new rules that are coming. No. No one does. No. no. Okay. Uh, well, actually, the 12 uh, member banks of the central bank, they have like, uh, you know. Committee. Uh, committee. And they decide on what the rules are going to be. And they always vote the same way. They all vote together. It's always unanimous. What you mean? What's in their best interest? Yes. Okay, so let's take a comparison. OPEC. Okay, they're all producing economic countries. OPEC, I believe, is a cartel. Because OPEC will decide how many barrels of oil they are going to produce for the next semester, quarter, whatever it may be. And if they want to push the price of oil up, they just lower the amount of barrels they produce. If they want to lower the price, then they increase the amount of barrels they use. And that group of countries decide together. Sounds like a central bank, right? Does, doesn't it? Okay. <laughs> and I, I would regard that as a cartel. And that's what okay. banking is, a cartel. And banking's a cartel as well. So we've now got a situation where, where central banks decide what's in our best interest and have demonstrated unequivocally that they can't make decisions that are in the best interest of the country, the commerce, and the people. That's correct. Time and time again. That's how they work. Okay, so I hope you, you're understanding everything that we're talking about here and uh, you're picking up on what we're, what we're doing because this is, what, this is why it's important to know and why you have someone like Da Vinci willing to share this knowledge and information because this is critical to your money because this is happening to you right in front of your eyes and most of you are completely oblivious to it your hands are in the air because you're going inflation's impacting me but you don't know how you don't know how to stop it you don't know what the alternatives are okay digital money has been around for a while because i remember the time where i used to write a check with my bank guarantee card for $50 to you to buy something from you. And you remember those old machines, they used to run the carbon paper over as well with a credit card and all that kind of stuff. That was a very analog process. Mm -hmm. I remember that. Yeah, okay. We then went to a system where we were then using our credit cards um, and then we would put them into a machine and we'd press our pin number. Now we're using a system where we tap our credit card on the top of the machine. And furthermore, we're now taking our telephone and tapping our telephone on top of a machine. Mm -hmm. No matter what, whether that's a crypto or a fiat structure, it's still digital money in real terms to everyday people. Because we're not using any money 
We're just using a device. Well, using the, the, the credit card device and your phone, you're banging them together. Mm -hmm. That's correct. An exchange takes place at mm -hmm. that time. So I think most people don't understand they're already using That's digital correct. money. That's correct. In like actually every day yes, for everything correct. they do. People tell me all the time that, oh, I don't <clears> like Bitcoin because it's not real. I can't hold it. I can't touch it. So you can hold and touch to your bank account? Really? Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> you can hold it. <laughs> Something interesting happened to me the other day. My, my, my wife wanted a piece of jewelry for her birthday. So um, I went to the jeweler. She chose what she wanted, whatever it was. And the guy said to me, this is the price. And so I haggled with him the price to get it lower. He said, I'll tell you what, if you pay me cash, maybe we can give you a bit more of a discount because we haven't got to pay the credit card company, yada, yada, yada. Now that discount was enough, decent discount. However, the thought and the chore of having to go and get the actual cash, drive to the bank at the time the bank's open, go in there, fill out some paperwork, then get the woman behind the counter to count the money, give it you in an envelope, mm -hmm. then take it back home in the car, give it to my wife, get her to count it out so that she could then get in her car and go to the place and pay the guy in cash. And it was like, what and for me it was just like what a headache why did i have to do that okay i didn't enjoy any of that experience at all i don't think any of us really like using cash anymore anyway so we're in the digital space already exactly so if bitcoin is the example if bitcoin was accepted everywhere it's effectively digital cash it, it's right so if the bitcoin's accepted everywhere for everything you buy, whether that be paying your gas and electricity bill, whether that's buying designer goods, whether that's buying a car, buying a flights, whatever. If Bitcoin was accepted everywhere, we would not actually need to use this old fashioned form of money ever again. So yes. are we just going through a, trans a transition where we've got some companies accepting Bitcoin until they all, that's our, that's our kind of like our window before. Exactly. Yeah? yeah, exactly. Exactly right. But um, the difference is there are two different types of money. One Bitcoin is the final settlement. It's the actual money. Whilst your paper money is not the money. It's not the final settlement. It is, it's, it's somebody else's liability every single time. A, a note, any kind of Federal Reserve note, is a liability that somebody created out. So, for example, every note that the Federal Reserve <clears throat> note that came into existence, somebody borrowed it. So someone somewhere needs that note to pay back their debt. So it's not a final settlement. You, uh, a, uh, even though you perceive it as that, it isn't, mm -hmm. right? The real setup, final settlement is anything real, mm -hmm. anything tangible. You could technically say, well, that would be the same case with Bitcoin. Bitcoin's not tangible. It's not real. Money is always a concept. No one, uh, no animal can understand money, but they can understand ownership. For example, a squirrel nuts. understands that its nuts belong to it, and other, nut, other squirrels try to steal that nut. Right. But so in the, since animals can understand ownership, you can understand ownership. Right. And you want to own. Right. Real things. Right. Because you use them every day. But also you want to have something that you can actually uh, trade and you know what the value of it later on. And that's where money comes in. And it has to be something that, you know, that's not going to change over time. Whilst our current paper money, it changes because it's not final settlement because it can be printed, created as many as much as they want. The, the banks can create as many as many units as they want. There's no limit. In fact, today you can go to your bank, 
and borrow a trillion dollars from them. And the only thing that's stopping them is the, the banking rules. That's it. Their internal rules, actually. Not the external rules of the, of the central bank. That's been eliminated. The fact that you can, um, they had a rule, right? Uh, you had to have um, 10 to 1 ratio. That ratio is gone. It's gone to zero. You don't have to have a um, certain number of dollars or m money at the central bank to, before you can start printing more money. No, no, no. You can print as much as you like. Trillion, two trillion, if you want. Just the system, the system is so flawed. Mm -hmm. But you know what worries me is that it's taken so long for people to see this, because money has been printed long before you and I were talking about investing and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. That was going on, you know, a long time ago. Well, the Second World War and the First World War are great examples of that money being printed, but not as much. It was not that bad back in the Second World War in Vietnam. Um, because they were anchored to the gold standard. So the, although they were printing, they were still conscious of how the, they didn't want to go overboard, but they still did a little bit. And so countries started figuring it out and started wanting their, give me the gold. <laughs> and that's why in 1971, right, uh, Nixon closed the gold window, right, because they, ran, they realized that they were going to lose all their gold. Right, because they printed more more dollars than there was gold in the vault. So, I was in Nepal filming for my documentary six or seven weeks ago, just after I saw you, and I had a fantastic experience. And I saw some some stuff I never want to see again, as well, to be honest with you. But you know what I thought while I was there? This is a badly run business. I was looking at the country, and I was like, "This isn't. This isn't. This is like a." a a badly run business. This could be a better run business than it is. Stop me thinking about it as a country. I started to think about it as a business. Mm -hmm. Then when I, when I think about that and I go back to that, I then think about, you know, central banking. It's just a badly run business. Yes, you could say that, but it's a, it's, it's a cartel that knows that the end doesn't, it can't live on forever though, because of the way, the way it works. Right. And, but if it can't live forever, what are they going to do? Well, they've already started doing what they're planning to do, which is first off, right? They know that they're going to get blamed if everybody, um, if everybody was unified and people were together, that would be a problem for them. So what they started already way back, way back when uh, started with the women's lib is they started separating us and making sure that we started fighting amongst each other. All this Black Lives Matter, all this LGBTQ stuff is all generated by them, right? All this nonsense that you see is generated by the banking system and forced on these corporations to push uh, this agenda because it creates division. And you've ever heard divide and conquer, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. That's what you need in order to ensure that, hey, if you're uh, everybody's squabbling, they can do whatever they want. For example, uh, one, the next thing they're probably going to do is um, take all your money because I, I don't know if any of your audience has looked into this. There's a, a new rule. They're no longer going to do bailouts of the banks. They're going to do bail-ins, right? So that's B-A-I-L-I-N, yeah. Yeah. right? Bail-ins. And so what that means is that they're going to take your money when they run out of money, right? Like um, what's happening in China at the moment? Yes. That's being kind of closely guarded secret, but yes. not such a good it's one. Where yes, they're being quiet. They're very that, quiet yeah. about it. So to people that are listening right now, in China, there's a number of banks that have stopped people taking their money out of the accounts. Mm -hmm. They said, you can't have your money out. It has to be transferred to an investment account or something. I think that's what's going on. And there are, there are protests on the streets, but there's no press because of it. 
-hmm. Now, usually you can get access to press for China, but there's clearly been you know some form of wall put up there to stop the West getting access to that information. But this is what we're learning. And there's a rating system there so that people who, if they found out that they are going to go protest, they cut them off from traveling. Right. So that uh, you are actually prevented from traveling because your digital rights right, goes down, your value goes down. And so you're not able to travel. So, yeah, it's crazy over there. Imagine that. Imagine us having to live by those rules. Exactly. Exactly. OK, so it's Orwellian. That is, is what's happening in China the bail-in? Effectively, yes. But it's going to have to look differently um, in North America and Europe because of um, we have more freedoms here. Right. They can't do the same things that they're doing in China. So effectively, what they'll do is um, first off, Grace, they've created the division so that you're not looking at what's happening. They've made it very difficult for people to like because they've like been stuck at home. They've been blaming their friends and family because you you didn't take the shot or all kinds of things. Right. All kinds of like, oh, you're not wearing the mask and they're, we're fighting against each other. And. They're slowly taking away our wealth without us noticing it by increasing this printing press. And so the next task for them is, of course, when we have this recession, what happens generally, right? All the stock prices uh, go down, people selling their stocks, selling their assets, they put their money in their bank account. Well, that's a trap, unfortunately. Unfortunately, that's a trap because of the bail-in rules. So the banks are broke, as we said earlier on, and they're going they have and part of the rules are right when i lend you the money right remember in the island example and you pay me back the hundred dollars i have to destroy it that's the rules i just realized this that because it's just an actual written rule it's not actually something that that that's a must it's just a rule they could actually change that mm. they could say well, no no you know what the money that you pay back actually the principal doesn't get destroyed it just goes in their pocket they can actually change that rule that would be a problem, but because <laughs> they destroyed the system a little bit faster. But yes, that could be. That could, I just realized it's just, it's just a rule. That's all it is. Yeah, just a rule. Yeah, that they they have to the that they're following, and uh-huh. then it could just be changed. Makes just like sense. just like the fact that there was a rule that um, they were not allowed to buy central banks were not allowed to buy government debt. Now they can. What? Because they just changed the rule. Right. Before, um, uh, banks had to have uh, $1 for every $10 that they loaned out. Well, they just changed their rules so, so that um, they don't have to have any money in the bank account, uh, in the, the central bank to, to lend out money. They can loan out as much as they want. The interbank LIBOR was um, broken oh, because... LIBOR, yeah? Yes. You know what? So let, interbank let, hold on, let me make sure everyone understands that. So that's called the London Interbank Offered Rate. Exactly. Okay, that's like that's allowed. That's the value of what banks would loan, borrow from each other. And then yeah. what they need that for is for overnight. What's called overnight sweeps, and that's a little bit more complicated. But basically, uh, there was a rule. The rules changed. There used to be you have to have one dollar stored in the bank in the, the central bank for every ten dollars you can lend out, mm-hmm. and it, it was constant up until like uh, I think it was nineteen ninety five that they changed it so that. It was only at nighttime that you had to have the that one dollar stored at the central bank. During the day, you had a zero reserve. You could have zero reserves. Okay. Right. So you could lend out as much money as you want, but then at nighttime, you had to settle up and have that 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 one dollar uh, for every ten dollars that you loaned out on, at the central bank. Mm-hmm. Now, 
what they did was during the day they would um, lend out a whole bunch of my money and then uh, oh gosh I have to get back down to that 10 to 1 rule so I'd borrow money from another bank which was uh, which I would hold uh, they would uh, I would promise to pay them back tomorrow the next day allowing me to do to look like uh, to um, have an unlimited uh, what's it called uh, lending right so I can lend unlimited amounts mm -hmm. of money mm -hmm. right I'd go beyond the 10 to 1 rule mm -hmm. but only during the day so once the day came I would uh, pay back my loan and I'd pay have that um, I, I, I would be over overextended again mm -hmm. right? get it understood so, all right so what happened was once LIBOR went out of whack they couldn't banks couldn't uh, lend to we were afraid to lend to each other so the central banks created uh, a, 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 a system for allowing the banks to borrow from the central bank right to, to create that 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 to keep that scam going basically Right, to allow them to borrow unlimited. So, but that the central bank kept expanding that that program larger and larger amount. They started at two billion, the uh, two hundred billion, and they expanded, 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 because every bank wanted to use that facility. Eventually, they realized, well, this is going to look bad, right? Because we're in the trillions. <laughs> so instead of having the overnight sweeps, we're going to have oh. All, during the nighttime, you could have uh, unlimited as well. So that's that's why we're here, right? Mm. So, <laughs> so it's just a rule change. So effectively, the next rule change can effectively be, well, you know what? Because there's not enough money in the system, what if we instead of like destroyed the money, we could just keep it in our pocket? That's a possibility. Mm -hmm. Instead of the bail-ins, but I think they're going to go with the bail-ins first. They're going to um, because. The banks are all broke, right? Effectively, and so once they get all this money coming into them, they're going to go. Okay, well, we don't have enough money to pay all these debts that we have to pay because people are selling, paying off their debts, and there's less, and because there's always more debt in the system than there is money. Yeah. If there's less money, then you can't service all the debt, mm -hmm. and so eventually people will default, and if defaults happen because the prices are coming down, they have to sell other assets to pay off the debts. Mm -hmm. And and when they pay off the when the bank pays off the debt, they're using their own money to pay off their debts, and destroy it. And that's that becomes a self fulfilling prophecy, which destroys the money and collapses the system. Mm -hmm. They can't they can't allow that to happen, as you know, because in two thousand eight, that's what they did. They bailed everybody out, all the banks out. So the new rule is, hey, well, you know what? Just take the money from the people. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't stop the stop. This whole system from collapsing, collapsing all the banks from collapsing eventually, it just delays it. And so, I've my solution is for everyone is to actually take the cash out and put it in your uh, your uh, safe at house, because during the the next collapse, financial collapse, they're just going to take your money. Now, if it's not there, of course, right? If your money's not there, they're probably going to probably Plan B, which is to actually just you know change the rules like. Hey, you know what? That money that instead of like paying off the debt uh, and destroying it, you just keep it. Imagine that. That would be crazy. Absolutely. <laughs> so there's there's very many telling reasons as to why this system doesn't work. Are we in a recession? Going into a recession? in the depths of a recession or is there a lot worse to come 
Well, I think there's a lot worse to come um, because we can see that from the history of central banking. A central bank has never said that a recession is coming. A central bank uh, has said to us that, hey, um, you know what, there, there's going to be no inflation. Okay, then there was going to be mild inflation. Okay, the inflation is, uh, no, first there was no inflation, transitory inflation, and mild inflation, and now, oh, well, you know what, um, we will, we'll, we'll be fighting inflation eventually. Don't worry, we'll take care of it. Uh -huh. And now they're saying that a recession, a mild recession is coming. Yeah. When they've never, ever said a recession was coming, ever. Uh -huh. And now they're saying a mild one's coming? Mm-hmm. What do you think is coming then? If they're if they've never said that a recession is coming in the history of central bank, mm -hmm. and they're saying now a mild one's coming, so you don't know why it's, it's soft. What does that mean to you? Yeah, they they, they want to try and cushion the, gonna be, cushion it, the blow of something much it, worse. It means it's going to be much 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 worse. What's going to protect us from that? I mean, obviously, when there's a recession that comes, there's also opportunity as well. Yes. Okay. There's always opportunities too. We've seen, you know, you take. Uh, let's, let's take some other types of investment. We take stock market at the moment. Um, Snapchat, eighty-three to thirteen, uh, eighty-three dollars to thirteen dollars. Massive, massive. All. A lot of people would say that's a good time to buy Snapchat. You know, and other stocks like that. Um, tech, tech particularly has been has been hit. Then you look at the oil companies that have made astonishing profits over recent time and the the value investors or the, sorry, the momentum investors will start looking at the ones that are performed and say let's have a bit more of what's performed so people will see that they'll believe that there's opportunity out there yes, energy will be the main thing more main thing to, to invest in they'll come the price of the value of energy stocks will probably drop during this recession and so those are things that you i would suggest people get into um the I see I don't say I don't know for sure if Snapchat would be a good buy. I mean, you'd have to do your own research, of course, right, to determine that because it could be. Um, but I would suggest people do their own research. But yes, there will be plenty of opportunities. But you have to have cash to, to take um, advantage of those take opportunities. Of those opportunities, and this is assuming. I'm sure nobody, not everybody's going to follow my advice and take their cash out of the bank, right? Because they've made it very, 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 very difficult to take cash out of banks and put it into your safe because they know that if it's not there, they can't take it. So if they transfer their money across from their bank account into a Binance exchange or a crypto.com exchange or whatever it may be, and they sit there with, <clears throat> with USDT as an example, and they just hold on to that for now, is that, a, is that a safer investment or a safer way of holding their money than it would be leaving it in their bank? Yes and no. Um, okay. Uh, because um, they are the the central. I mean, not central banks, but the the, the centralized exchanges are uh, subjected to law. They could be ordered to um, sell your uh, assets to convert it to the local currency. Um, we see that happen in every single country where there is hyperinflation. So expect that to happen at. Um, at these centralized exchanges. And if then, if the people take the money out and buy, I don't know, let's just take hypothetically Bitcoin right now, if they went out and bought Bitcoin, could that change? Yes, so long as they took possession of it. So uh, that's why I said yes and no. It's also, you'd have to take possession of your assets. So right? not leaving it on the exchange. Exactly. So with one of these, what well, I forgot what they're called. Hardware wallets. Hardware wallets. You don't have to use a hardware wallet, but yes, uh, that's the most safest uh, tool to use. And, and you know what? Um, if you're afraid of... Um, 
learning how to use cryptocurrencies. Keep in mind, it, the internet was extremely difficult to use very at the first when you first when it first came out, mm -hmm. and people struggled with it. People learned how to use all that, and so uh, I feel that learning how to use cryptocurrencies is just as 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 uh, orders of magnitude more simpler than learning how to use the internet back when back in the days. Mm -hmm. And, and you can, so you can learn how to use it. The only reason that stops you from uh, from using it is your fear of loss. And yes, that fear should be there because it is easy to lose money with crypto. Even if somebody doesn't steal it from you, you could actually make a mistake with crypto. And I have, right? Everybody who's been in crypto has made a mistake. I've sent the crypto to the wrong address and lost the money. Yes, that's all possible. You have to take responsibility. I've lost wallets before, wallets of, uh, that had lots of, of, of Bitcoin in it. You, you have to take responsibility of that because once you lose your wallet, um, you can't get it back. There's no Bitcoin call uh, company or call center <laughs> that you can call. That's it. Once you lose it, it's gone. You lose your password, anything. So that's, that's the main fear of people actually learning how to use uh, cryptocurrencies. It's to, that, that, that sense of loss. You, you can learn how to use it. No problem. Everybody can use it. And everybody can understand it because it's not that complicated. Some of the instructions are overly complicated. They're not, it's just the instructions are overly complicated, not the, the fact that it, it's, it, that it is complicated to use. It's very, very simple. You just have to memorize 12 words and remember your passwords. Not memorize, but to write down 12 words or 24 words and store it in the safe, basically. And that's it. And it's not that hard. Everybody can do that. And, and you'll be like, yeah, this is not that difficult. And then sending it, uh, sending my, uh, bitcoins and cryptocurrencies around to other people is very, very simple. Okay, process. you and I, are, you and I are pro cryptocurrency. You're obviously very successful in it, and I'm a, a, a supporter of it now, and I invest in that myself now. Lots of people have been seduced by the hype over recent time, and then uh, not over recent time, over the last few years, and now obviously things went down a little bit recently or a lot. And obviously then the skeptics came out going, yeah, well, I told you it was going to go down and this kind of stuff. And you get that in any situation. You'd always have a segment of the community like that. People that invest in Bitcoin invest because of, in many respects, sometimes greed, but they also invest because they're influenced by people like you on social media and you know names that I know, BitBoy Crypto, Moon Carl, Crypto Jack, and a few other people like that. And certainly in, in the little world that I'm exposed to, and I'm sure Robert Breedlove, Michael Saylor, and Raoul Paul, and it all goes on. What responsibility, because financial advisors aren't allowed to say, interestingly, when they talk about money on social, or investing on social media, they're not allowed to talk about more than a 6 or a 7% return. So they're very regulated from what they're allowed to say. They can't post stuff. Mm -hmm. Crypto influencers can talk about whatever they want. So what responsibility do you think you guys have to making sure you don't seduce people or tempt people to the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, but you educate them well and smartly to do you know the right things the right way? Yeah, I think our responsibility is to not uh, you know um, mention like small cap coins and so forth and avoid you know, try to avoid like basically a lot of scams out there. And it's very difficult because, you know, I'm a very trusting person and I've been like seduced by somebody who told me, hey, you know what? I have this product and it turned out to be a scam. Right. 
it's really difficult even and now i have like a whole team of people going over everything right so you have to be I, i'm trying to be as vigilant as possible right so that is the main thing for us uh kols basically people who are influencers is to be as vigilant as possible and not not go out not show off all these different cryptocurrencies that are out there Yes, you can promote a few things with your friends and stuff like that. I promote my friends, um, you know, my projects and stuff like that, of course, right? Because they're my friends. They're not going to screw me over. They're not going to screw over my my fans, right? But I think the key thing is to always mention that Bitcoin is the real money, that Ethereum is probably going to do well as well. Those are the two assets that people should own and should save. They shouldn't bother with all the rest of it. So if you know if you were watching any of those guys and they're telling you to buy some specific asset, please, at the very least, if you feel the need to do so, only one or two percent of your total portfolio should be invested. In okay, that. well, let's, let's, do you think young people? Because that's good advice. Okay, but young people see Carl's Bugatti. Uh, who's the German guy that was the tat? I forgot his name. It's Chris from Chris. Crypto. They see Chris's God knows how many cars, his McLarens and stuff like that. And young people will be seduced by that. Yes. They, they, they were, I, I, hold on, you know, Carl is talking about working in a supermarket some years ago. Uh, Chris is talking about driving a taxi. Yes, that's true. You know, and so what it's doing is for working class and regular and everyday people, he's giving them that there's the shortcuts of success without saying it. That's what people often believe. Yes, unfortunately. You're a, li- you're a little bit older than them, so you're probably a little bit more t- attuned to everyday people and how they think. But do, do they have a responsibility to not do that? Or should they be able to do what the hell they like and it's tough shit for anybody that doesn't like it? In fact, yes, it, that's the truth, right? Because And you have to decide for yourself whether or not you want to pay attention to it. Because honestly... You're responsible for yourself at the end of the day, not to the people that you watch. This is so important to me because I believe when people make decisions with their money or in their lives, they have to own their decisions. Yes. And most people don't want to own their decisions. They want to point the finger in some direction as to why something went wrong. And I've seen this for all the years in business I've ever been there. If something goes wrong, it's somebody's fault. If something goes well, well, you know, I bought Axie Infinity. That was me. You know, (laughs) do you know what I mean? Type of thing, you know? Yeah, I mean, I did the research. I chose that one. If you listen to me and follow my advice, then guess what? (laughs) You can do the same. So everyone needs to own, essentially. They need to own their decisions they make. So everyone listening right now, everyone watching right now, if you're going to make a decision to do something, be on your shoulders. Don't blame anybody else if you make a bad decision. Just because somebody said, I I would advise this, or I uh, think this is important, or this is what I've done with my own money. Mm -hmm. Agreed? Yes, and, I, and what people need to understand that Chris and uh, Carl, they didn't uh, make money the way they thought people think they do. They just worked really hard and did something totally different. So just so you know, yeah. I'm not going to say exactly what, but you can figure it out. Well, people don't know. You know, people don't understand. A lot of people won't even understand leverage within the crypto space. Mm-hmm. I know. And so... They're trying to work out, you know, all, uh, most the most of the general public will be saying they must have bought at $3, <laughs> you know, or something like that to get where they've got. But 
there's clearly lots more that's going on behind the scenes. Exactly. And anyone who makes money when they invest, no matter what they invest in, do a lot of hard work behind the scenes to make that money. Exactly. You know, this is not the lottery. They haven't just been lucky and done a lucky dip and no. the numbers came no. in. No. What was that guy the other day in America? Billion dollars or whatever it was mm -hmm. when he won the lottery. <laughs> okay. That, that guy was lucky. I don't exactly. Think. That was luck. Yeah. The, the, both of them put in a lot of hard work. Mm -hmm. And that should be respected. I think maybe maybe that, that part of their hard work, that part of their journey, I think the bit that's the interesting part, isn't it? You know, yes. And understanding. And I'm sure you put a lot of hard work in as well. Exactly. You know, I'm sure you had a few sleepless nights along the way. Of course, everybody does. Okay, before we finish up, can we just talk about Web3? Sure. The other day, um, Meta showed some of the graphics off to what they were doing and it was slated a good metaverse would be considered right now is uh what's it called the 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 one with the blocks and stuff like that um um minecraft minecraft yes. yeah yes minecraft that is the best we can do for metaverse right now okay that is it and if we start there and build it up from there that's how you build. That's how we would build a solid metaverse. Yes, it's not going to look good. Accept it. But it will look good eventually. I think a lot of people can't get their head around what it's going to be used for that don't live in the whole gaming space. And so I think a great example of what it will be used for is thinking about how children learn about history in school. Mm -hmm. You know, you and I both went to school. We sat there and we had books. Maybe there was, you know, you're probably similar age to me. There was a... Um, a TV rolled in with a video recorder underneath it and they might show us a, a video of what was happening in, in, in ancient Roman times and stuff like that. And then we go back to the textbook and then the whiteboard or the blackboard would be used and we'd learn history, you know, Battle of Hastings 1066 and all whatever it may be. Children are going to have an immersive experience learning about history. They're going to be able to walk through the streets of Rome they're going to be able to see the hanging gardens of Babylon. They're going to see, be exposed to a medieval battle rather than having to read through a textbook. And I think that's such a great way of getting, getting people to understand what it's going to be like. And, and one, you know, one tool that I think would be very valuable and how the education system might change. Unfortunately, and governments are supporting uh, the metaverse. Do you know why? Why? Because this is another part of the, the, the understanding of controlling people is, you know, you have to give them games and entertainment. And so the metaverse is the worst thing to happen for, because although a tool is not bad, right? And uh, in, inherently of itself, it's the people, how the people use it. And so the government wants to use this to control people, right? To give you... Remember the, that uh, Klaus Schwab said, you'll, you'll own nothing and be happy. They want that to happen, right? That you can be happy inside of a, a virtual universe where you own a virtual stuff that's nothing. So that's, wow. the, that's the real goal of this, right? Most people think of it as, yeah, the way you, in a positive sense. But, you know, the governments want this badly. And it's going to take, and it's not, it's going to come to fish, fruition, but not for a long time because it's totally divided. Um, the, 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 the camps, all both um, Facebook, Microsoft, Apple, 
um, all the major corporations that are joining this, they don't have a base flavor pro protocol in order to transfer assets between different metaverses that they will create. And so in simple terms, they've got different charges. It's like Apple and Android, isn't it? I can't charge my phone on an Apple on an Apple charger because it's not the same type of charger. Exactly, yeah. So you need the same type of system to be able to talk to each other so that can be transferred. Is that correct? Yeah, yes, exactly. Another okay. way of looking at it is just, uh, you know, uh, there's no way, like, for example, you can't transfer automatic and Ethereum to Bitcoin without a central third party, right? So um, with a, a, some sort of layer, they need some sort of layer that allows you to transfer your asset, your, your sword or your, um, your jacket from one metaverse to another metaverse that's completely, that belongs to Microsoft. One from Facebook that belongs to Microsoft. Without that transport layer, uh, which no one's developed. I mean, I've seen people talk about developing it on their own. But they need some big corporation to agree to this and they have to sell this to the corporations and stuff like that. And then it has to be then obviously all these corporations will have their own developers join in and actually help build this um, because there's lots of different, uh, for example, Wi-Fi, right? It's a centralized. We all know that, you know, you buy a Wi-Fi router. It works with all our phones because a committee of different companies come together to come up with a standard. That's what's needed for metaverse, and they're not even doing that. They're not even gotten to that point yet. <laughs> so, so yeah, metaverse has got a long way to go, long way. So, whatever pipe dreams you think you have about the metaverse, you can put it. You can put it to the side. Yes, it'll grow. Yes, it'll be a billion dollar industry. Yes, 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 yes. It will be big, but but not just yet. Not yet. Hmm. It makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. I sit and I talk to you and every time I leave a conversation with you, I feel wiser. I feel educated. I feel, I feel like you're really good nutrition. Well, thank you. Let's, thank you. let's finish on a crypto high note as yes. we finish. What, where, where are we sitting at now? What's the price of um, a Bitcoin at the moment? Right now it's around, uh, last time I checked, it was like twenty three, twenty four thousand dollars <clears> $24,000. And Ethereum nineteen hundred. Yeah, it was like eight nine. Yeah, it was eight in the eight eighteen hundreds to close to nineteen hundred. Okay. If I if if I look forward for the rest of this year uh, at Bitcoin and Ethereum only, and don't talk about anything else, um, can I safely say that I'll make a double digit return on my money this year? Do you think? Looking at Bitcoin and Ethereum that way for most people shouldn't be the concern because. What happens is people will bet their rent money in order to to see that return. And um, you shouldn't be buying Bitcoin based on that and Ethereum based on that. You should be buying it on a long term basis so that you are you see an increase in your wealth over a long period of time, meaning three to four to five years, actually. So or more. So if, okay, so, so if I if I if I I'm 52, okay, I'm gonna let's say I retire at 60. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm 53 next. So I'm yeah, I'm so I'm 52. So that's this. I've got seven and a half years till I'm 60. If I start buying Bitcoin now, based upon my retirement for 60, okay, that that's a good thing to do. Exactly, you'll do extremely well. For for I mean, an example of that is one of one of my ex girlfriends 
um, took all your money. No. All right. Okay. Good. <laughs> she asked me back in what was it, 2016, to invest in cryptocurrencies for her, and and uh, I did, and we broke up, and she never really um, got all her cryptocurrencies out of the exchanges um, and liquidated them. So now um, she only spent like a few thousand dollars, like two or three thousand dollars. Now she's a multimillionaire. Right, because she forgot about them. Because she forgot about them. Yes. So, okay, well, that's really important to know. So you, so essentially, I put the money into my Binance account. I automate buying of Bitcoin and Ethereum, and I don't bother looking at it and just forget about it for the next eight years. Exactly. That's exactly it. If you just forget about it and uh, just, or, or just constantly buy more and don't worry about it, Everybody laughs at Michael Saylor, but he'll always have the last laugh. I think that's a really, really good place to stop. <laughs> <laughs> da Vinci, thank you so, so much for coming to spend time. I know we're neighbors almost. You don't live far mm -hmm. away from here, but it's just such a great pleasure having you here. You're just a wise guy and it's nice to, you know, brainstorm and, and, and learn from somebody like you. So thank you so much for coming to join us. Thank you for having me on. Appreciate it.